Welcome to the Avance Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Nick. How's it going, man? Excellent. Uh, you rode today. I rode the monkey for the first time today. Got all the upgrades. Uh, version 3.0, I guess it is now. Nice. So uh, definitely need mirrors. Uh, <laughs> uh, even being a big Oompa Loompa on a small bike, uh, you know, there were some times I... I, I went to check my mirrors, which I forgot to put back on the bike. So I've got, actually, I have to get some new ones. So I'm working on that. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. We should have our bike lift here in like a week and a half. Oh, nice. I, yeah. I forgot about that. That's going to be cool. Yeah. Now, oh, great. Now that all the work's done. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm still, uh, I'm working on getting my lift in there. And, Good. Uh, let's see what else. I painted the old garage. Started painting that on the inside because it's turning into the gym. The old garage. The one attached to the house. Oh, yeah. The okay. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I yeah, the yeah, old okay, garage. Yeah. It's too small to fit a car in. So, sure. I mean, it's a motorcycle garage. So, because yeah. it's old. It's a gym and a sauna. So, now it's a gym and a sauna. Yeah. yeah it's going to be great. Um, what else? Keep getting tools showing up at random. It's funny how that works. Ah, uh, okay. Gotta, you know that old saying? You get, a, you get a bigger house, you just fill it with more stuff. Yeah. You get a bigger shop, you just fill it with more stuff. Okay. Yeah, I have. I, I, I think I've reached that point where I'm, I'm starting to just go onto Amazon and things and I'm ordering stuff and oh god cycle gear got me today i was i was done buying stuff and they sent a bunch of like discount stuff and so there's a bunch of stuff coming with honda and new pants and things like that so, <laughs> but i don't i mean like i got like 300 dollars worth of stuff for like 100 bucks so i'm gonna call it a win you know but <laughs> even though i keep telling myself not to do that and it's so. all stuff we needed for sure 100 100 i gotta look good while i'm riding so so i have <laughs> every time i need a bolt it's usually cheaper to buy them in bulk you know yeah so now i get like bolts in bulk of 20 and so I'm just filling up that are bin. Gonna, are you going to eventually get one of those, just those big bins that go in there and then and the bolt guy shows up every, every week and Man, then fills everything dream. up, right? <laughs> that's the way to do it. Yeah. 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 So I did that and, uh, oh, I cleared a field. I'm getting more closer and closer to going back to buying that tractor that I've always wanted. You have a tractor. Yeah. I need a bigger one though. Oh, I always need a bigger one. Yeah. Okay. With a greater. Fair I mean, enough. Who doesn't need a tractor? If you have the room for it. I don't know. Because then I can build tracks and all sorts of stuff. Okay, so you need a tractor to build a track, so then you can buy a supercar to drive on set track. Well, I was thinking an off-road track. Oh, even better. Land, but yeah, that too. Come on, you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, there's a way. We can make a racetrack yeah. around the house. Fair enough. I've Fair driven enough. on smaller autocross courses. I, I'm with you. Go-kart. I, mean, I think we need go-karts, so. I blacktop all the fields. Mm -hmm. Sorry, animals. Yeah. <laughs> to graze in the ditches. I don't think you'd get away with that on your farm. <laughs> I so. don't think so either. There's plenty of people that would put that back. Yeah. I so. heard you have a uh, Carter Automotive Group tip so of the week for us. This is this is just an interesting thing, and, and I never thought of that. So um, so the Carter Carter Subaru tip of the week, or Carter Carter Automotive Subaru tip of the week. I always want to say Subaru because I'm just yeah, because it's Carter Subaru. Yeah. So it, it, everybody's been in their car, and you and and you always screw with your headrest. Yeah. And because it, it clicks in and out. Okay. Do you realize why it's so accessible and why you're able to pull it up and pull it out? In uh, some cars, to put the seats all the way down. No, why? It, true. It is can be it can be used if you're if you go into the water. It can be used to break the window. It's oh. another. It, it was not designed. To, uh, it wasn't initially designed as that. It was designed to you know to give you better comfort and things like that. But they can be taken out, and that's why they so, can so easily be taken out, and you can use them to break the window. Huh. If you were in a trap situation or a door was broken or things like that. So, yeah. Interesting. It was one of these things. I, a little tip came up and it was a fire department thing. And the guy was like talking about it. He's like, and you can pull this out and use it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and if you're a movie buff, you'll realize that every time in every movie, you'll realize none, they never have headrests because of camera angles and things like that. And people in the back seat. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. I have a glass breaker on my knife in the center console. A lot of people do. Yeah. But, and this is another alternative of something. If you were in huh. there and you couldn't, you couldn't get to something to pull it out. Yeah. In the event so. of a water landing, remove your headrest. Exactly. <laughs> headrest. Yeah. Use your headrest. So. Yeah. Well, Just let's kind hope of an nobody interesting has tip. to use that tip of the week. But and it was it a real firefighter, and I looked it up. And so, yeah. You know somebody's going to follow their GPS into a lake again. A hundred percent. I would say going to, but we've all known that's happened several times already. Absolutely. <laughs> It told me to turn left, and the, uh, the and GPS gods going. just did it. Yep, yep. It's just That's, a puddle. Who needs it? With yeah. boats on it. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. That's waterproof. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we have a great guest this week. Um, Mark, how do I say your last name? I've been listening to it and reading it, and I'm going to screw it up if I say it. It's uh, pronounced Americanized Raffoff. R-A-F-F-O-F-F, -F -F, even though it's A-U-F at the end. Okay. Not even close to what I was going to say. Okay. So Raffoff, Mark it is. You know, German stuff, you know, it's... Yeah, so Mark's Probably. been with IMSA. You know, he's a new employee. <laughs> he's got a new employee. Uh, yeah, he's he, he's been in the car industry for a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, he just got a new job. <laughs> we were laughing. We were laughing before we started this. Uh, well, first of all, welcome, welcome to, to the, the show. show. But yeah. 
Um, you, you know, we Thanks always do a little bit. Me. We do a little bit of research on our guests, and I pulled up your LinkedIn, and it, and like, there's two jobs on there, and the first job you had for 49 years in one month, and I was like, ah, oh, almost made it. <laughs> <laughs> but Mark, you have been with IMSA so long that they are making up titles for you, correct? Well, they did. They did. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've been. Uh, this was my 49th 24-hour race at Daytona this year. Wow. Okay. Wow. So. I'm still going for one. Yeah. No. <laughs> I've seen, as they say on the TV ads, you know, I know a few things because I've seen a few things. But You've seen a few things. Yeah. I started, yeah. Uh, well, if you want the, the specifics of that, I started yeah. actually working for John and Peg Bishop. Um, I got to know them when I held an SCCA National Tech Inspection License in New England region at 14. Which you could wow. do because you back put then, it on at 14. Oh, yeah. So, okay. Uh, I was at it for a while learning a lot of stuff. Okay. But um, you could do that back then with a note from your mother instead of all this liability <laughs> waiver crap. So, <laughs> whole, I allow Mark to be there. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. He, he likes doing this. <laughs> yes, and most exactly. of tech at the time, you weren't standing out in pit lane or like a target for some crazy regional guy to run you over. <laughs> so I learned a lot from a lot of good people. And in that process, I got to meet uh, John and Peg Bishop, who were New England region people, even while they were just starting IMSA. Charlie Rainville, who was our, our first uh, technical director and the executive steward of the Northeast region of the SCCA at the time. And back then, the SCCA was the thing. There were no, yeah, you know, Skip Barber driving schools or anything like that. You, you went to the Sports Car Club of America and they trained everybody to do everything from flagging to driving to whatever. So, you know, I was at around at a time was completely different than today. And, uh, you know, I just ended up uh, going to college in Florida, University of Florida. I told my parents I was a swimmer at the time and that was a good place to go. But actually, I went because there was three IMSA races at Daytona, one at Sebring, two at Atlanta and one at Talladega. And they were all within like a day's drive. So smart. I swam for a while, but then went racing like all the time. So. So that's where it started, and I'm still here today. You know, I had to, I was fortunate enough to be the guy to be the second president of IMSA back in 88, 89 when John Bishop retired. Um, and like I said earlier, in the process of the first original IMSA following with the second here in Daytona, uh, I probably held just about every position in the company except maybe the marketing director and the director of communications. So. You had to settle for director of race operations instead. Well, race operations, <laughs> director of everything, technical director a couple of times, like two or three times over the years. Keep coming um, back to that. Yeah. 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 Race director for many, many years for many different things. So, you know, all of the above. Back then, there were a lot fewer people doing really amazing things. And they were amazing people as they are today. But it's obviously a much more complicated environment business-wise and technology-wise and so on. So. So, I mean, were, were you, did you come from an automotive family like uh, with the love? Like I said, doing that at 14, you had, somebody had to have taught you these bad habits. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. In fact, my parents never owned an automobile and my mother never had a driver's license. Wow. Okay. The biggest influence was my older brother, who is actually now a part-time employee of ours at some of the races. But <laughs> he went on to become an IBM engineer and get a real job. But he uh, he came back from Georgia Tech one summer with first a, a 65 Mustang 289 and the following year with a 66 911, which, of course, we disassembled okay. in the bottom of a parking garage in downtown Boston and rebuilt the engine a couple of times. So, you know, a lot of hands on stuff through him. And we actually were into the stuff a decade earlier in the 60s when we were kids, uh, inspired by a number of things, but we just were into racing. I don't know whether it was Aurora slot cars or what the hell it was, but got us going and we never got out of it, both of us. He worked through his entire career uh, at IBM for uh, people like Dick Barber, um, Bob Aiken, uh, Moretti for 20 years, Ferrari's Porsche 962, stuff like that. So quite an accomplished race mechanic and pit crew guy as well, as well as being an engineer. Yeah. Me, however, I just went to college and screwed around for four years because John Bishop wouldn't give me a job till I got a degree, got a degree, and then went to work for IMSA full-time really in 78, but 74 to 78, most of the events every year, which was cool when you were a college kid. What are you doing this weekend? Uh, I'm going to Riverside. Race weekend. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm going, going racing. Yeah. See you later. Absolutely. Yeah. That? California. Really? <laughs> Bring back Coors <laughs> beer. Anyway, so. Ah, <laughs> it's a little smoky in the bandit there. Yeah, okay. Exactly. I got you. So, Fair enough. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the, the quick story. But obviously, along the way, you know, a lot of great people, a lot of great uh, 
moments and times and a lot of history in the sport in the United States, as well as having the chance to go to Le Mans many times and around the world and operate stuff uh, on behalf of American racing in Asia, uh, Europe. So it's, it's been a good run for that. Dang. I That's I don't even know where to start with a career like that. I'm just <laughs> you pick a decade. I can give you a whole yeah, trend yeah. on every one well, of them, right? <laughs> actually, I'll start with the most recent one because yeah. this is one hell of an accomplishment. Um, I'm going to praise your accolades here. 2022 Phil Hill Award winner. Yeah. I mean, you're that's a hell of an accomplishment. You've got it was actually this year. It's 2023 for yeah. the two. It was presented this year, but it's for 22. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about the Phil Hill Award, first of all. Well, the Road Racing Drivers Club is probably the most uh, prestigious group of participating individuals in road racing, including, you know, IndyCar drivers and great, you know, titans of the industry, the John Bishops, the France family, uh, Roger Penske, you know, Ganassi, a lot of uh, business people, a lot of great race car drivers. I think I'm the 23rd winner or 22nd. And to be honest, initially when Bobby Rahal, who's the per- current president, um, this award is it's a beautiful sculpture of Phil Hill and the shark nose Ferrari. It's a great, beautiful piece. But the significance of it really didn't dawn on me. When he first called me, um, I think I was in Portimao, Portugal with the Lamborghini Super Trofeo World Final event. And he calls me up and usually when he'd call me, it was he needed some help with an FIA paper for one of his historic cars or something like that. You know, I said, Bobby, you what can I help you with? And he goes, uh, nothing. And I go, really? And he goes, yeah, actually, I want to give you a heads up. We've voted to award you the Phil Hill Award this year. And I was like, you're kidding me. Because it was totally, um, I'm familiar with the award. I, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by all the people before me who have received it that I'm considered in that company. But I figured, I guess you do something long enough, they might think you might know something about what you're doing. But, <laughs> so it was very uh, initially kind of, oh, yeah, that's cool. But I didn't really realize the the total significance until the, the dinner at Daytona and, and, and thinking about all the people before me who had also received it. And to be put in that company's, um, it's very flattering. I mean, very honored. And, uh, you know, I don't know what else to say other than I've always tried to do the best I can with what I had to do it with in the sport and always try and be helpful and sometimes had to make hard decisions that some people didn't like or did like. And when you have to make a decision as a race director, sometimes it's good and bad. Um, but overall, um, I'm totally still quite today um, blown away, literally, because once that was announced, I received literally hundreds of texts and emails from people all over the world. Yeah, that's some a big of them deal. Who I did know some of them. I don't remember that I knew, but <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't realize just how widespread that award was other than in the community and in the community of the club, you know, I'd say 60 to 70% of the people, especially the drivers have people that I've, you know, directed races and they were in. So they all, you know, they're all kind of, we're all kind of colleagues in that world and the business side, same with team owners and, and, and other people in the club that are, uh, they're all significant people in the sport. And to have been originally um, asked to be a member was quite flattering because there aren't too many officials in that clubhouse, but um, they do recognize obviously uh, people that they feel make significant contributions. And to be part of that is pretty, like I said, it's blow, it blows you away. I'm, I'm still, uh, people still come up to me during races and, congratulate me for that. And and I've always felt, like I said, that I've just tried to do what I was supposed to do the best way I knew how to do it. And I also had, you know, an incredible number of people over 50 years to help me be that way. So I, I'll always give credit. One of the driving forces for me has been the people that I've been able to work with. There he is. Um, and that's important to me is that it's, uh, that's really what the sport is all about. The cars are cool, but the people around them are even cooler. So um, that's the nutshell on the Phil Hill Award. So it's still something that I'll obviously never forget for the rest of your life and be on a list of people that I think in the history of the sport in the United States is pretty significant, is uh, still kind of hard to accept. But uh, I've, enjo- I've enjoyed the opportunity they've provided and hope to be able to contribute as much as I can moving forward. And you got the world's coolest looking trophy. It well, is yeah. award. Really cool, I guess it is yeah. really cool it looking. Is very yeah. cool. <laughs> you so. mentioned earlier. Um, you I mean you've been all around the world. You've been to basically every race you've ever wanted to go to under the sun. Is there? Um, obviously, there's IMSA, and 
I know you have to play, you know, that's your baby. I get that. But is there a race outside of that that you go to that you look forward to every year that is or every couple of years, a special kind of standout that has really affected you or you've got some great memories from um, Goodwood, something like that? I mean, there's. Well, it, it's kind of uh, blasphemous, perhaps, but the TT on the Isle of Man is yes. by far the most, most amazing motorsports event I've ever been to. And I've been a number of times. And it's not about the danger. It's just about uh, watching incredibly talented people do an amazing thing on a superbike, okay, among other types of bikes. I also happen to be, besides the IMSA side, I am on the AMA Pro uh, management board as the competition guy. So we only operate technically today uh, flat track and hill climbs. And motocross, supercross, and road racing is licensed out to other people who have already been mm. doing it for a while successfully. So we're not interested in reinventing the wheel. They got a good thing going for motorcycles, which is a little tough, tough these days. So bikes have always been a side interest as well as airplanes. Um, oh. But as far as car races, yeah, I've been to just about all kinds. The only thing I've never done that I think I would like to do is a, a world rally race, a championship event, you know, preferably somewhere like Finland or Sweden in the middle of the winter, you know, something significantly bizarre. And just to experience that, you know, because I think rallying um, from the standpoint of driving as well as interesting cars is right up there on the top of my list as far as personal interest. I find it absolutely great to watch and great to, to uh, study the technology being used there, especially today. And I think the other event, which believe it or not, is again, not an automotive event, but a motorsports event is the Unlimited Airplanes at Reno, which unfortunately oh, very cool. will have its last event next year. And I've always been a big, you know, Warbird fan. Um, and when you get into engines and things, when you start talking 3,600 horsepower Rolls-Royce Merlins on 125 inches of boost, it's almost as good as a top fuel funny car or dragster on nitromethane. Okay. So you, once you have it in your blood, you, you sort of branch out a little bit, but as far as cars, I think rallying is the one thing that I have had the least experience with that, that I would like to have more experience with. Well, if you want to come drive with us at Dirtfish, I mean, you can come visit uh, us up here. Yeah, I, know, I know who you guys are. Well, yeah. I'm not with Dirtfish, but I'm a fan. I'm okay. I know the guy that runs that <laughs> deal. He used to be a guy I worked with when he worked for Ferrari. So, okay. Nice. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, so, I mean, going around the world, I mean, I always, we always ask people this because, like I said, I was always the kid that grew up, but I had a thousand Hot Wheels. I loved the cars. What cars kind of shaped your love of automotive? I mean, besides, I mean, specific race cars, like I said, you know, when you say the word Phil Hill, it, it brings back, that's a lot of my childhood because I have a 1959 Triumph that was restored by Glenn Vaughn, whose father was in business with Phil Hill, you know, Phil Hill. Uh, so, I mean, very cool. Yeah. That's, you know, that name brings back a lot of nostalgia for me. But what kind of cars bring back, you know, nostalgia for you and, and brought you into the automotive world. So little personal story. One day uh, as a little kid, I think it was about 65 or 66, um, you know, older brother and I are troops along behind mom going up to the food fair in Philadelphia where we grew up in Germantown, Northern Philly. And as we go troops and buy the local Ford dealership, there's a gold Ford GT 40 Mark three road car with the Chrome Barani wheels in the window he and I immediately face, face plan on the window. Mom keeps walking. Two blocks later, she turns around. The kids are nowhere to be seen. That's the it's not like you went anywhere. She was, you were exactly where she left you. Exactly. Yeah. We were there all together at one point. She just exactly. kept going. So yeah. you know, he was like, uh, I think I was eight and he was like 11 or 12, whatever. We were old enough to do stupid things together. So, so that started it. And actually, before that, we had already been into uh, Formula One. You know, the mid-60s, particularly when the three-liter cars started in 66, we were already following that. We had a competition press auto week subscription, uh, you know, red sports car graphic and all the mags. So we were totally addicted by the time we were both. He was 10. I was still like five or six. So, you know, we got into that stuff. And I think every kid then, but a lot of people were into, you know, Hemi chargers and American stuff, drag racing and we somehow branched off into the sporty car stuff. That in turn led me to become a Ferrari freak uh, mm. in 67 with the P4, which I oh, still think today car. is probably the most beautiful um, racing car uh, maybe ever made. Um, it's an aesthetic personal decision. So then in a question. We agree. Was, yeah, yeah, I was going to say. We agree, that's yeah. hard to argue with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It's a spectacular piece. And I've had the chance. I was in Italy two years ago when they ran the three 
three remaining ones, a 1-4-12 and two P-4s to commemorate the Daytona win in 1967. Uh, and that was uh, two years ago at the World Finals there. So, uh, you know, I've I've had a lot of chance to see a lot of cool cars. But then again, you got Chaparral's, you had Can-Am. Uh, the first really big race that my brother and I went to, and this is, again, different times, different era, we got to go. We talked our parents into letting us get on our commuter train in Germantown, go down to 30th Street, hop on the train from there to Trenton to go see the IndyCar race in 1967. So, that was probably the first really big event, and I was actually more terrified at how bad the grandstands were than I was about anything else. But you could do stuff like that. Kids went away for the day to go, not to a baseball game, but we had to go to Trenton to go see an IndyCar race. But so, and then again, over the years, I went to high school, my brother went to college, and then we kind of reconvened when Road Atlanta was built. He was at Georgia Tech, so he started going up there. And then when he come home in the summertime to Boston, we do the Lime Rock, Briar, Thompson, Watkins, Glen stuff for SCCA. And then by then, by 74, it was also for IMSA. So that's kind of how it started. But the cars, you know, I have favorites from IMSA for sure. I mean, the Porsche 962. Um, you are going to say that. The Ferrari, <laughs> the Ferrari 333 SP. Um, yeah. The CSL BMW. Uh, the Greenwood Corvettes. I mean, you can go down the list of so many cool cars that IMSA kind of created and were built mm-hmm. around the rules that um, even while I was there, it always amazed me with uh, John Bishop and Charlie as far as the technical side, Roger Bailey, who's still alive today. Um, we would conjure up ideas of what the stuff should go go like and look like at the end and then try and figure out how to write the rules to make it come out that way. And every time <laughs> we're quite successful at it, you know, I like so, that. Yeah. Instead of building layers upon layers of regulation, we said, well, what do we want this thing to do? And we're done. Whether it was a prototype GTP car, a decon Monza, whatever. And how fast do we want it to go? And what are the elements we need to make to have it look right, sound right and go right. And then we would write the rules that way backwards. So it was really kind of a neat process, but so few people in that office we had, particularly in the seventies and eighties, and what we created both for product and for events really still amazes me today. So I just have to ask, this is a very small question. Yeah. Have you run into that GT40 since in your, in your childhood? Oh. I feel like that car is something you might've seen again. Yeah, I've seen photos of other gold ones, you okay. know, uh, but I've never seen that actual car again or another one just like it. I've seen a lot of GT40s, okay. but the Mark threes were the road cars Yeah, mm-hmm. and they were few and far between in the first place. And the ones I guess the very first ones were the ones that still had wire wheels. And that was kind of the, wow, there's a car like that and it still has wire wheels. It was kind of a, a difficult thing to grasp, you know, <laughs> when you looked sure. at the Halibrands on a Mark II with a 427 and then you looked at the one with wire wheels on it, you kind of scratched your head trying to figure out what exactly was going on there. But it was all part of the game to get the car running. But I think the Ford GT40, very significant to me um, and to the United States and to racing, I think. Uh, the P4, definitely a favorite. Um, in the 70s and 80s, uh, like I said, CSLs, Corvettes, Monzas, 935s in various configurations. And then, of course, the, the first generation of GTP cars, Tullius Jaguars, Walkinshaw, just some great equipment. Um, some of it really innovative. You know, we had a, a little Camel light car that ran a plastic motor back in like the middle of the 80s or actually early 80s. A lot of really innovative Wait. stuff that. What, what, what's a plastic? Oh, whoa, yeah. The polymotor. There's a guy named uh, Matty Holtzberg built a two liter, four valve, four cylinder engine that pretty much, except for the pistons and the sleeves, was made out of carbon fiber and plastic. And it actually wow. got a podium. It got a podium at Lime Rock in Camel Lights. It was in a Lola T616. But, you know, it wasn't super successful. Learned something new today. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't super successful, but this is like 1983. Yeah. You know? That's why I'm just shocked. Like, I've never heard everybody, of this. Like, yeah. I love that kind it's of weird like, stuff. How have I not heard of this? Holy that's crap. Crazy. You know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, just I got to see the transition literally from mechanical fuel injection to electronic fuel injection. And then from that to direct injection, you know, just this whole process of the evolution of the automobile and what manufacturers created for people to screw with and go race was has been fascinating because it that's you know that's perfect transition i was going to ask you that is as over your career what do you, what do you think has been the most significant change in 
IMSA over the years? Just aerodynamics, tire compounds? I mean, is there one thing that just has really, like, just completely changed the game when it came out? Um, I think nothing completely changed the game, but I think the, the, the evolution in the early 80s to ground effect cars, mm. not just with us, but obviously Formula One, IndyCar with the, the Chaparral, Penzo car, um, Dan Gurney's cars in Indy, you know, ground effects and aerodynamics um, then forced a, a major push back to really crazy horsepower levels to overcome the drag. And the speeds, of course, got to be incredible, not necessarily any faster in a straight line, though at one point in the mid 80s, every place we went, except I think Lime Rock, we could get a GTP car over 200, including places like Portland and Laguna Seca, which you look at them today and you go, how'd you do that? But the cars were so fast, it was the cornering speed because of the ground effects, which forced this huge change in tire technology because the tires had to withstand both this tremendous amount of downforce, which by the late eighties was 8,000 pounds. Okay. Yeah. All right. Four tons. So, you know, tire development and aerodynamics have done the most to, um, I think advance the, the, the speed and the progress in the cars, uh, which a lot has to do with road stuff still then. And today it's fascinating to me that the cars go are faster with smaller tires and less power. So efficiency in the, you know, starting in the 90s into the 2000s, depending on whether you were in a cost-effective type program like Grand Am or an unlimited economic program like ALS was to where we are today with a a hybrid program, which is really cool in in technology and how it works and what it does. So being able to go from a, you know, a three-liter Porsche RSR slide valve mechanical injected engine with 330 horsepower in 1974 and a car that cost $23,000 to a car today that can really make a lot more power than we're letting it use, depending on how much electricity we let it use on top of the engine in the speeds it can attain on skinnier tires and all that is just a, it's a fascinating technical journey. So the cars are a lot, a lot of them, a lot of cool ones that didn't maybe have a lot of results, but were really interesting cars. Can you talk about, and this is just something that came up in my mind, how the surfaces have changed throughout throughout your career and the fact of what people are racing on. Like, does that necessarily, has, has, has that made a big advance as well? Well, there was a period, which I'm sure both of you are aware of in the 80s, where IMSA certainly at various times had up to six street tracks. Um, yeah. Sebring is pretty much as ugly as it was today. It was in 1974, <laughs> or five. Uh, just more concrete, and it was longer, so the punishment was worse because it was 5.2 miles. It eventually got shrunk down to get it off the airport. But uh, Daytona, you know, the surface, the, the, the interesting thing is you don't really realize over time how much the tires and everything about a racetrack get worn out. And we go to some places now and, you know, Road America has just been repaved last fall. Laguna Seca is being repaved. You know, Watkins Glen has been repaved. Daytona has been repaved. The surfaces get worn out. And it's pretty interesting when they repave them how different everything becomes. Because there were places before you just wouldn't go because it was either too bumpy or it had no grip at all. Because the, the aggregate rocks that usually stick out of the asphalt. They weren't there anymore. They were just like polished down to nothing. So grip. And again, the tires that, that going, I mean, I wasn't there when they still had tread on them, but shortly after I arrived on a kind of more or less full-time basis was the advent of the slick and the slick tire in all racing has become, you know, the compound temperature based slick where grip is generated by the compound and the heat. Um, that's an amazing thing to have watched that develop to the level it is now and how much grip can be achieved out of some of the product that even now today we're starting to have tires that are made out of recycled materials as well. So all that stuff is going towards the future to a much better place. But getting there and and seeing that performance get better and better and better has probably done more to accelerate the safety in the sport because considerations and things had to be changed because the cars just got faster, 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 which you expect. So, but it's good. Yeah. 
So you got to relearn a whole track when it gets repaid. Pretty much. I mean, it's, like it's, you said, it, you it changes that much. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty amazing. You go, oh, we could never drive over here before because there's drivers that have driven on some of these tracks that had worn out surfaces for 10 years. And they repave them and they go, holy mackerel, this place is better than I thought it was. <laughs> I was I was reading about uh, Formula One in Vegas and how mm. Formula One is returning to Vegas, for yes. the record. Formula One used to be in Vegas, but they were talking about the last Formula One race in Vegas. Do you know what that was? The parking lot the at park, Caesars. Parking lot at Caesars. And, uh, Caesars it, is bigger than I thought. It was <laughs> so hot, the yes. Michelins, the compound and the Michelins were bubbling off the tires. Yeah. Huh. And like people were passing out because of the heat, and the G forces were so high, people had to pit because they didn't want to go. They didn't want to finish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like one of the worst races F one has ever had, yeah. and it 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 made me laugh when you're talking about tire compounds because yeah. they were just like they've come so far. Like the cars were overdriving so yeah. hard because it was just there's no elevation changes. It was like the worst race to watch ever. The new, the new race there they run no, down the strip, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's on. Yeah, it'll be a lot yeah, it's better. All street. So yeah. To that, okay. I talked about street racing. We used to race in San Antonio around the hemisphere plaza and the first year we went there the track was kind of a funny shaped thing but we went there five years and it was never the same twice we either went the other direction with different curves and chicanes used the same streets but just configured it differently but anyway the first year the pavement on the streets of san antonio because of the heat and city buses and everything else were was so slick that in the first practice sessions after a couple laps you know holbert the corvette gtp jags everybody came in they put rain tires on because the regular wow. slicks were too hard to get any stick so they went to the softer compound treaded rain tires well the tire companies about pooed their pants because you really shouldn't be doing that so we ended yeah. up after the first day of everybody slip sliding around we went over to vp and they made the what what we call the the bleach box treatment that they use in the NHRA to sticky up the, the burnout sections. Yeah. So we got over there, we got a small tanker truck, you know, kind of like one of those trucks they use to sprinkle the lawns or, you know, do that kind of stuff with arms going out the side. And we just coated all the city streets in San Antonio that we we're going to race on with this stuff. <laughs> and it worked really good, except it didn't go away right away. So like <laughs> for, days, for days afterwards, people would step off the curb at places where the cars had run on it and actually get stuck to the street with this stuff. <laughs> so the city, we did this at night, of course. The city was like, well, what are you guys doing? What well, did you do? You know, the pavement's a little worn out. We had to give it a little treatment. Yeah, there's little old ladies that stick do? to the road and there's people trying to jog and they can't jog. And it was like, yeah, well, we're not there anymore. Talk to the promoter. <laughs> we got this new glue spot. Exactly. So, you know. so to your point, you know, street tracks had we were racing on what the streets were. New Orleans was another one where the surface was just phenomenally strange, phenomenally strange. The first year in Miami, we went across railroad tracks twice. Um, and of course, in Miami, Biscayne Boulevard, the crown on the road is immense because of flooding and rain. Yeah. So you could actually see guys coming down Biscayne Boulevard and the cars were actually tilted one way or the other way, depending on what side of the crown they were on. And it was just, <laughs> and these are like 962s going 150 miles an hour. And just right. Boulevard, right? Derek Bell driving, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, so surfaces are important. And the, the coolest thing about, I think, IMSA racing is its adaptability to any kind of surface. Um, yeah. You wouldn't want to run a prototype off-road per se, but... We actually right. have run points races for Bridgestone Supercar and things like that at Pikes Peak with, you know, track prepared cars with solid suspension going up the original Pikes Peak, which wasn't paved and everybody getting up to the top and wondering if their teeth were still intact because it was pretty rough with that kind of suspension. But, you know, 930 turbos and stuff like that up Pikes Peak in the early days and the car race cars can be made to do anything you want them to do, I think. Uh, Mark, we have a, a, a quite a few listeners that, that aren't really car people. Could yeah. you give the, our listeners a good definition of what IMSA is? I mean, for those of us that aren't sitting here just drooling over every word you're saying. Okay. We probably should have asked that early yeah. on. IMSA, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> IMSA is the International Motorsports Association, and it's always been um, a sanctioning authority, part of the international FIA group in the United States. Um, uh, it's a business, a for-profit business. It's always been that. Um, and we sanction... Uh, create and operate motorsports programs 
in IMSA's case, almost exclusively now closed wheel racing, though in the early years we did open small open wheel categories like Formula Atlantic and Super V, things like that. So we operate a series of events over a course of a season for different types of cars. And in a, in a way, it's not a technology exercise. We're in the entertainment business. We go to different racetracks. They sell tickets. We get a, We put it on TV. We sell advertising or we get manufacturers to support teams and, and use it. It's a, it's a marketing tool for the automotive industry primarily, for commercial and consumer sponsors uh, or, or manufacturers, uh, as well as an ideal business-to-business environment amongst all those entities. So it's kind of a niche form of racing. It's kind of like soccer in the United States. It's the European game. And IMSA has probably been at the forefront of it in the, in the North American continent since the mid-70s. And today, and, and as many times, had major influence in this form of the sport around the world, both in Asia and in Europe. So it's basically, a, a, I don't know how to put it, it's, it's, a, it's a marketing tool, an entertainment marketing tool, an opportunity for people to showcase in, in IMSA's case, more often than not, premium products, premium manufacturers. You know, we have Porsche, Lamborghini, Ferrari, Corvette, BMW, Lexus, the, 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 the list goes on and on. Acura, Cadillac, um, Porsche again with prototypes. Uh, you know, we, we give them an opportunity to showcase their products. Uh, we put on entertaining and competitive competitions that are exciting and not not uh, slow to watch, so to speak, on TV or otherwise, um, yes. and have done so literally for for almost fifty years, and with various generations of cars driven by what the manufacturers choose to make. And of course, now the the big things is relevance with with hybrids and you know fuels and tires made from reusable materials. So it's a much more relevant kind of entertainment, perhaps, than many others. So that's kind of what we do. I was going to ask you about that. The what's the the new and upcoming racing is changing a lot right now across the board uh, with different emissions regulations, hybrids being pretty much the norm for pretty much every manufacturer across the board. If or not pure electric too, or, yeah, or yeah. pure electric. I mean, uh, we're losing the sound, which is a uh, boo. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, well, it is a tough one. It's a big part of racing. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, how does how is IMSA looking forward to that? I mean, what's well, I think, you know, obviously one thing I did say earlier, we won races. We just came from Long Beach with our top category of GT and prototype cars where we raced for 100 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that was the third event. The first event is 24 hours at Daytona. The second one is 12 hours at Sebring. So not only is one on a high bank track with high speed, the second one is on an old World War II airport. And the third one is through the city streets of Long Beach, California. The, the circuits are completely different. The race lengths are completely different. The strategies and all that plays out. So when you go to electric, you still have the fundamental problem is they can't run fast very long. So the hybrid to us is both uh, a strong message of relevance today because electrification, I think in, in most automotive companies' minds, I'm not speaking for them, is about hybrids because the combination of the two an internal combustion engine and electric power being generated from it is the most sustainable um and it's in a country of this size kind of essential because i don't think in my lifetime and maybe not yours they'll have batteries technology to the point where you'd want to take off and cross the country in your tesla or any other electric vehicle it's just not infrastructure supported to do so if you live in town it's great but I think yeah. for racing, for our kind of racing, you, you're going to still have to have an internal combustion engine element. And you want to try and make that as carbon neutral as possible. And I believe that technology exists today to do that. So you can have the sound and you can still do the right thing. And I think that's where the future is, is don't lose the aspect, the sensory overload of being at the racetrack and what that means. Because it's the sound, it's the smell, it's the sights, it's it's all of those senses being you know, tickled by what's going on that makes attending one so much better, whatever type of it you're into than watching it on TV. There's no comparison. Yeah. The hybrid's where it's at. We've been preaching that for a long time on the show. That's, that's what we want to see. I mean, the full electric's cool. It's um, sustainable in the right areas, but just like you said, 
it can be done. You can go across the country, right. but you're going to go the most boring way possible and not enjoy it and not get the point of taking a road trip across the country. And you're going to sit in a shit ton of diners waiting for it to charge. Right. Well, right. That, yeah, it's going to take way longer. I mean, you can read stories about yeah. people who come down here from like Michigan in their Tesla and it takes them three days. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, I, I, I appreciate you're doing the right thing, but you know, it's three days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So could have been here in a day and a half and uh had well, a lot more fun yeah and you can make hybrid <laughs> yeah. fun i mean look yeah. at the nsx look at the p1 look at the 918 yeah. i mean there's awesome yeah. hybrid cars out there and you know like i said our race cars being an old school guy who thought okay this is all you know smoke and mirrors i'm truly it took us four years to develop this new car from with new componentry the system and um you know to me now it's it's to I'm totally sold on it. It's the best way to go. It's uh, cars are crazy fast. Um, they have less downforce. All right. And they're going just as fast as faster as anything before them ever did already. And they're going to be around for a number of years because this is year. It's actually month number four. So it's not even year number one yet. We're in the first four months and these things have performed exceptionally well. So nice. What are you driving? Yeah. <laughs> well, I drive. I drive uh, yeah. a new TLX Acura. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, being that you get to, you've been with IMSA so long, and, and like you said, sat in the back and made the rules, I'm sure you've had some pretty fun experiences experiencing these cars or being on track in them. Oh yeah. Well, let me let yeah. me just say. I mean, I've done a lot, but every step of the way, as I did mention early on, has been with a team of people and surrounded by people who had a similar passion for this and a similar desire to do new and interesting things so it's always been I, people say well you did I, yeah i did i was part of everything but there were always other people there you know john bishop was a huge mentor teacher and visionary just as bill france was in motorsports two of the most significant people in the united states's history of motorsports since world war yeah. ii as is Wally Parks and, and, and Mickey Thompson and Roger Penske and people of that level. So, you know, th that's important to recognize. There's always other people involved. This is not like a race team. It's not a one-man band. If you don't have the crew and the driver doesn't have the confidence in the crew that the car's put together properly and that they're, they're doing the best for him, he's not going to perform and not going to be able to win. So same principle in that. And so, you know, as you go down that path you just get to learn a lot of new things and and as i said hybrids and and developing this car and getting it to the point now where i'm sold i mean i'm not really sold on all electric for the sport because i don't find that entertaining but that that's me other people may but the spectacle of it is really important and live experiencing the spectacle is really important agreed yeah i'm trying to think of uh what other hybrid racing that I've seen well, form, going on? Formula One is hybrid. Sports car racing, I think, will take the yeah. lead here because it has a direct connection to the car companies. Formula yeah. One is a little bit, yes, it's connected, but it's kind of out there because it's an open-wheel car. It's a one-man Yeah, you, car. you can't go to your Mercedes dealership and pick up a Lewis, Lewis and Hamilton special. Yeah. Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, but so, you can, go, you to can your, go to your Acura dealership and pick up an NSX. Exactly. And, and the Absolutely. concept of that is it that translates back to the prototype. The prototype is making new stuff and new ideas come forth for future NSXs. Because I think every yeah. car company right now, almost every one of them, their high-performance car is either a large displacement internal combustion engine car or a pretty powerful hybrid. You get I mean, the new E-Ray coming out. Well, I was I was actually thinking about Lamborghini and the Rev Vuelto, the fact yeah. that that's now got a 1,000 horsepower. Yeah, yeah. and Yeah. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> so, stuff I mean, is, every, is capable yeah. now, uh, reliable, it's safe, um, and the performance is still there, but you still need that internal combustion engine to, to, to balance the two out so to speak it's and and i i think i'll be interested to see how the weight reduction comes because batteries are, are heavy i mean there there are lightweight issues but they're, they're heavy yeah they'll be heavy but i think the the other thing just as an example I, I, you know going back four years looking at the volt the size of the batteries necessary four years ago for a car like our prototype the size and weight Within the time frame we developed it, it probably reduced itself in both categories 
Yeah. In other words, they got smaller and lighter, and they're just as powerful. So um, there's progress being made there, for sure. Yeah, we're seeing that in motorcycles all the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Because yeah. electric motorcycles more and more and more. That's a really good market. For so the, at the TT for a while, they had an electric bike one-lap race, all right? But guys like John McGinnis, who won the senior and everything on a regular superbike, was only six or seven miles per hour average off of a superbike time around the TT on an electric Honda. Dang. For one lap. But it isn't slow, I'll tell you that. No, if, if our listeners, if you have not watched any <laughs> Isle of Man TT footage, <laughs> We're supposed to be talking go do cars. it. I know. Well, we love everything with an engine. All right. Whatever. I'm there because I do too. Anything on anything on tires or flying. Fly, fly, fly are, crawl, float, yeah, whatever. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. Burns oil and makes noise. I'm there. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah. TT, TT is, like I said I, earlier, very special. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and you had mentioned something earlier about the fact of experiencing motorsports. I think that's one of the things that I want to experience because I have watched TT so many times on TV. I watched those kids. And it, and it yeah. scares the crap out of me to watch it. I can't imagine what it would be like to stand there on the side of the road next to a small brick brick wall that was built 100 and some years ago and watch somebody go by at 150 miles an hour. Try, try 200 some 200 yeah. behind a piece of bicycle fence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, mean, I barely feel safe at home. I can't imagine what it'd be like being there. You know, so. yeah, uh, let me think- let me just say there's a lot of uh, a lot of what you see on TV is the on bike stuff. And yeah. in fact, the, the impressive part is not that because that has a very narrow focused view. The impressive part is standing back and as I said earlier, watching these guys hustle these bikes around this place because it's a barely a two lane road. It's 33 miles long or something like that. It's the only main road. On, in the country, when every time they run, which is every other day for two weeks, they shut the whole place down to run it. And they have sidecars and they have 650s and 1,000 stock, 1,000 unlimited, you know, various classes, not just one class. But the, the, the expertise and the, I don't want to say courage, the bravery of what these guys do. I mean, seeing somebody get a tank slapper at 170 after going over a rise, catching it, and not even throttling off. It's just part of the deal. And the, the the people that get hurt, yes, you can crash and it's going to be pretty terminal. But on the spectating side, it's pretty benign and safe. It's just you're really up close and personal with what's going on. So it's very, very, um, it's very impressive because you're right. Yeah, and they're passing each other oh, yeah. sometimes. And they start, <laughs> yeah. like, they start five or ten seconds apart, depending on the class, and they still pass each yeah. other. You'll yeah. see packs of three or four of them doing this, and it's, it's yeah. just mesmerizing. And There's you, barely room on the on, on the road for a bike, let right. alone doing 100 and 200 miles an hour, and then you're passing somebody. Yeah, yeah. for a long time, yeah. I think people don't know about that, is that uh, superbike contracts and MotoGP contracts, they had clauses in there for, I think they probably still do, they were not allowed to race. Right, the guys, the guys that do that, there's actually four open road races, I I think there's a there's a four mile course around the airport, uh, which is a little bit south of Douglas, which is the biggest town on the island. And then there's two in Ireland. There's one uh, just outside of Belfast, yeah. uh, the Northern 200, I think. And then there's a couple in England that are still open road races. The big one is the TT, of course, uh, but the other ones are shorter and they run like a regular road race where everybody lines up on a grid and they go while the TT is one where they start single file because it's just not wide enough to do anything more than that. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of racing, the the guys that have, like McGinnis, I think, is the has won it seven times, the senior. Um, yep. And he's in his 40s. These aren't young kids. It takes, he said it took him seven to ten years to learn the track. I'd so the you think year. of the Nürburgring, <laughs> it's over twice the size of the Nürburgring. Yeah. Is there a special place on the bike to keep your testicles? I'm just curious. Yeah, like, just you know, dent the tank in and you the just tank slot in. them in there. Yeah, yeah they're they're brave, yeah. you know. They're they're yeah. but they they love it because to succeed at that is just being like right on the edge all the time. And and most of them that still do it have been doing it for ten or twenty years. I mean, people do get killed, but it's usually people that are starting out in the process. Yeah. With perhaps not as much respect for the place as the guys that have done it for 20 years or 15 years, you know? So you said that you'd like to view more, uh, like rally racing. Have you had any chance to see Dakar or anything like that? No, I've known a, a bunch of people who've done it. I've known a bunch of people that, you know, have dropped in on it. Um, you know, I've never done that. 
I think it's uh, a little bit different now across the desert in Saudi Arabia. I would have liked to have been in on it when it was originally what it was, Perry to Dakar. Even the Argentinian Damn. ones, because there's the history of open road racing in South America is very strong. Carrera Pan America in Mexico, you know, the races that Fangio used to do in Argentina and Brazil were all open road races of thousands of miles, the Mili Miglia, the Targa Florio in Sicily. That kind of stuff intrigues me because you just got to deal with what's there. You know, you're not in an enclosed environment, but those days are long gone. I mean, rallying is the closest thing in a car where you're kind of doing that or desert racing um, mm-hmm. where you're just kind of wide open and it's up to you to do that. Uh, the other cool race, which I didn't mention before, is I've actually gone up and checked out the Iditarod in Alaska. Again, yeah. from a dog power, it's dog yeah. power. It's not horsepower. Yeah. It's dog power. But another yeah. fascinating form of competition, where in fact, it's not about the mushers. The heroes there are the dogs, oh, and mm-hmm. and uh, so it, it's just a weird thing. But they got rules. I mean, the sleds are all made out of carbon fiber. I mean, it's some pretty trick stuff. But the dogs are superheroes, and and they do the job. And it's a thousand miles on a sled where you're freezing to death, and. It, Pretty, pretty yeah, tough stuff, insane. you know? So Yeah, so the Alcan ends. Yes. If you do the full Alcan in the winter, you end at the Iditarod. Yeah. yeah. yeah which Bring your dogs up in your trailer. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. Mm. I don't like cold that much. It's cold. Let alone going through places where everything else wants to kill you. Well, that's true. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so anyway, that, that's my read on it is I think motorsports and the TT, as I said, uh, I've asked, what's your favorite event? My favorite event, motorsports event, is the TT because it's just so fascinating. The history is great. The the experience is great. The place is great, even if it wasn't for the race. The Isle of Man is one of these little rocks in the middle of nowhere that is totally fascinating. You know, the Vikings had it. The Celts had it. Everybody had it at one time or another. They say that's where King Arthur was from, and Camelot is a castle that's on that island. It wasn't actually in England. So it's got all these legends and Norse rune stones okay. all over the place. It's just a crazy little place, you know. Yeah, I, that whole area is just full of fun people and fun oh, stories. Yeah, all they do is yeah, drink. It's a great area. You know, have a good time for two weeks. You know, <laughs> just yep. hardcore. You know? Carl's here on camera supporting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The first year, <laughs> year, I asked him. I said, "You love this?" I said, uh, "What happens like in the winter time when the weather gets really bad because everything comes by boat? The ferries from Liverpool or Belfast or Dublin out to this little island, and that's where they get all their stuff, right?" I said, you ever run out of stuff? And he says, we run out of everything except whiskey and beer. Because we can, <laughs> we can make enough of that on this island well to stopped. keep the population <laughs> well stoked. They may starve. And warm. They're not going yeah. to be feeling bad about doing it. Gosh, that's awesome. Yeah. What a place, yeah, right? It's absolutely amazing. All right. A little bit more of a personal question. Sure. Is there anything about you that is not a, like a passion of yours that is not in the motorsport. You said cars and motorcycles, they're all kind of in the same space. Is there like a secret hobby you've got, like painting or, you know, he seems like a knitter. He seems like a knitter. A to knitter? Me. Like I don't knitting. know. Well, yeah. I have to I'm confess, after all that I've done, I actually have a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in painting. Oh, and okay. I did not know okay. that. So okay. you brought Very it up. Cool. I'll say that's what I have a degree yeah, in because awesome. originally, you know, I was going to go to like the Rhode Island School of Design or something and be like a, a commercial artist. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to figure out how to make <laughs> a living in car racing without having to, you know, hawk my life away to try and drive, even though I dabbled a little bit in a Formula Ford occasionally. That wasn't my thing, you know. So I think I made the right choice. And I've given, I haven't given up on that. I am a consummate doodler in all of our meetings. I'm always drawing cars and I've sketched a lot of cars for rules and things on napkins at lunch and stuff like that. So um, I think that's the kind of closet hobby that if I ever stopped doing what I do, I would go back to that because I still enjoy that. Um, I've done some illustration work and some photography work and, and, and design work in racing, you know, paint jobs for teams and stuff like that. Mostly for fun, not as as, as a, yeah. a career, but just to help out. So I think that's one. I'm also a big history buff, um, oh. scuba diver, history buff scuba diver. I've dove most of the way across the Pacific for all the Japanese wrecks and things like that. And, uh, cool. you know, just cool. I like that kind of stuff. Uh, 
And I like the history of motorsports uh, as well. It's just a fascinating. You don't want to be one of those guys that sits on the corner at a racetrack with a bib on. You know, the Carls of the world. No. <laughs> <laughs> Carl's on mute. No, yeah. I, I like to, I like to <laughs> put your shirt down, Carl. Nobody wants to see that. No. <laughs> I like doing stuff. So, yeah. I'm also yeah. A, an avid shooter. I like skeet and trap. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I, I have a small collection of historic firearms, not modern stuff, mostly for. Yeah. The technical interests, you know, shooting mm-hmm. a Civil War, you know, Sharps carbine versus a World War One or World War Two Mauser or a Grand, and doing that back to back at a range one day gives you a pretty good, uh, pretty good feel for how that technology. So things like that that have technological development that you can experience: cars, mm-hmm. bikes, guns, whatever. Um, Sharps I'm, was that uh, quickly down under? Was that a Sharps? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Well, I think it was. It was a, a lot of different yeah. kinds of Sharps, but. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that was big, specifically big what brand Burnside, Sharks, Sharps. There was a lot, a lot of pretty good, actually, yeah. technological advancements in the Civil War in the United States in guns. But um, yeah. so Gro- stuff like that. But you know, we do have a pretty hectic year that pretty much goes from yeah. January to end of November. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the one thing I will say, which has always tickled me as well, is obviously you have to like to travel to do this, but racing's enabled me to travel to a lot of really cool places around the world that I would never, ever have gotten to. In a really cool way, too. Well, that too, but just I, I would have never gotten there if it wasn't because I was going there for a race and mm-hmm. took the time to stay a little extra to experience where I was. So that's another hobby, so to speak, is when that chance exists, I'll always take it. Well, especially going all the world around the world and being a history buff. I mean, yeah. I grew up. My father, my father has had a. We used to joke as a kid because he would say he has a. He has a history. He's a, a major, a minor in history. And he, instead of saying that, he would tell me as a kid, he's like, "Yeah, I have a degree in cowboys and Indians." Which for a long time I thought he had a degree in cowboys and Indians, not just a love of history. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, obviously going around the world and being able to go to these yeah. places. I mean, you're talking about Isle of Man and and all the things happening there with King Arthur and, and the Vikings, and that's amazing yeah. to be able to see. Those you know, I've things. done yeah. I've done races in Japan. I've done races in Thailand. I've done races in Malaysia. I've done races in Australia done races That's in some deep uh, history in those eastern Asian oh yeah countries. in the emirates long history um abu yeah. dhabi dubai all across europe obviously canada mexico argentina brazil venezuela colombia costa rica dominican i mean just to get to see all kinds of people and the the thing that i was trying to get to is that the racing is the same everywhere the people that have the passion it doesn't matter where they're from what their religion is or what they like to eat or whatever they love it, you know. The rest of it's the love world, of motorsports and going absolutely, yeah. you know. Yeah, it could be tiny little cars in Asia or South America, and they just people come out by the thousands to come to come watch because it's good entertainment. It's it's a, they'll race them. Yep. Yeah. You, listen, you listen to some of the racers, even the F one guys, and it's like they just want to be racing. They don't care if they're in an F one car or if somebody puts them in a cart or if they're racing. You know. Gas-powered coolers, you know, <laughs> down the street. You know, it's the idea of being in competition or or, or making something go faster than you should. Right. So, yeah. Well, nothing races like a rental. Exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> You've been watching. Uh, what is it? Uh, what's the one? Tom Cruise. Days of Thunder. Days, Days of Thunder. Thunder. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like trash tortoises or something. Yeah. I can't remember what yeah. it was. Trash yeah. in the rental cars. Yeah. 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 Oh uh, well, what are you looking forward to most in the next upcoming year? Um, I mean, I guess it's already season. This is we're in uh, April here, almost yeah. May, but it's May when this comes out, so. So I think, you know, the big thing for us is we have a really solid uh, GT base. Every pretty much every major car Mm, company in the world that makes a GT type car is is in the game. That's always exciting because there's way more brands involved than there are races to win. So it's pretty ferocious to be one of the ones that wins one of the 10 or 11 that we're going to run for them. And then, of course, the new car um, is obviously the, the the new baby on the block and and to watch it play out and as we go to every race we we learn a little bit more about the technology we learn a little bit more about the differences in the cars and the engines that the oes have chosen to use because there's huge diversity there all made it up to this standardized hybrid system every car has the same mgu power generating unit the same gearbox and the same battery but they are fitted in four different chassis with OE designed different bodywork on them. So they, they all have their own characteristic, their own look. And ideally to you guys will understand they all have their own sound. You can actually close your eyes 
and tell what went by. And to me, love that. that's one of the things about racing that's pretty cool is the diversity we have has always been the basis of IMSA. We've never had, we've had spec series, but we also have always had diverse car cultures competing against one another, sometimes almost in an odd way. I mean, we had seven eighth scale purposely built Roush Mercury Cougars racing against all wheel drive factory Quattro Audis and a Ferrari F40 all at the same time. You know, who would have thought you would have seen a Cougar on the racetrack next to an F40 going door to door, but we figured out how to do that. So whatever the first- I don't think if I owned an F40, I'd want to be on the track with a Cougar, but yeah. <laughs> Jack Roush knew how to make very fast Cougars. Okay. I, no, I know yeah. that. I, I know it could keep up. I'm just talking about the, you know, value. Oh yeah. Well, that's, that's, yeah. that's what you did. You know, race cars are meant yep. to be put on the racetrack and run. And, and uh, Great, yeah. that, that's what it's all about. But anyway, so that kind of, of uh, diversity has always been attractive. People are attracted and particularly today, kids they all want to go see a Lamborghini and a Ferrari and a Corvette. They want to see those cool cars because yeah, yep. there aren't a lot of them are driving around every day uh, in most of the United States. So we got the cool cars. The prototype pushes us up to that level of, of uh, sort of current technology, uh, learning new things about, okay, how do we reduce brake pad dust? How do we reduce tire byproduct how do we reduce some of the byproducts of the automobile as a whole and in racing you can get to where you need to get to very quickly because it's fast so you 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 learn to address those issues quickly and and not through hundreds of thousands of miles of road miles you know how much degradation a certain product has in a very short period of time when you do it 3000 miles in 24 hours at 130 miles an hour right so yeah. that translation not necessarily direct but of concept and addressing the future to me this year will be sort of a springboard for that because again we're going to be practicing with playing with this stuff for at least five years so i'm just i'm kind of intrigued and excited as to where these things will be at the end of this season going into the next season and the next season afterwards because the total potential there is unrealized. We just, we don't know yet. It's, it's a, a work in progress with the manufacturers, the component suppliers, the tire companies, the fuel company, all of that is a work in progress. And we're all kind of learning new stuff all the time together. And I think that's kind of important, not just to the sport, but to the industry as a whole. Yeah. Racing drives efficiency without mm -hmm. racing. We wouldn't have, you know, carbon fiber deck lids on the backs of Priuses now, which what? The factory, yeah. The new Priuses have a carbon fiber rear deck lid, and that's a great thing because it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not praising the, praising the Prius at any point here, but at the same time, the fact that we can get a carbon fiber deck lid yeah. and a low-cost car, sure. and that trickles down. That makes things more efficient. That gives us better mileage, and that means more racing. So, I mean, you got racing to thank for that. As, as short as 20 years ago, until the Ferrari F50 came along, that was the first mass-produced carbon car. And the technology yeah. to take the door off of one of them and put it on another one up until that point wasn't there. Everything had to be yeah. custom made to a specific car. I mean, even a Dodge Viper, you couldn't take the door off of one of them and stick it on another one. It wouldn't fit. So to, to start making pieces, like you said, a Prius deck lid out of carbon fiber, they're making thousands of them and they're all interchangeable yeah. and it's not mm -hmm. bad material. It's strong. It's rigid. Everything about it is good, you know, Yep. and it's recyclable. Exactly gonna have to be on a prius no. <laughs> the rest of it too right yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, yeah exactly yeah well mark it has been great talking with yeah. you we love your work we love everything you do for the racing community and yeah if you if you are uh, just getting your feet wet into racing and you want to go watch something interesting go watch some imsa you'll see a lot cooler cars a lot more diversity this is where we get the great pictures from carl lately carl is here in the audience, and he is de delivering so many beautiful photos um, from in the IMSA series. He's muted for you know reasons. <laughs> right. We can unmute Carl. <laughs> no, Maybe we should. A, yeah. Carl, do you want to say hi to the hi, audience? Carl. I'm going to hey. unmute you. Hey, there Mark. You go. How are you? Hey, Mark. Thanks, thanks All right. for joining. Yeah, no today. problem. It took a while to get me here, but I'd be happy to come back anytime. So. Oh, yeah. man, we'd love yeah. to have you. And we'll, uh, well, we'll see, I'll see you down in Laguna in a couple of weeks. I'll be well. there for that one for sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I was telling the guys earlier, uh, sorry I missed you at, at Long Beach, but I had to pretty much leave on Saturday night, come back to Daytona yeah, and turn around. We, and had beer, we, had cold, we had cold beers with your name on it, but we'll get you one day. 
I'm sure judging from just Imagine that Carl had cold beer. That's weird. <laughs> These conversations, I know that's probably in the future. Yeah, I know we, we actually, we had a, we had a good event. Uh, you know, we had a little brewery, Stefan Johansson swung yep. by. Good man. Um, and Benjamin Peterson in IndyCar mm-hmm. and sporting yep. his shirt. He's yep. a local lad from up here. Yeah. And uh, Klaus, who, dri- who drove the path to yep. the, the podium, yep. popped along. So, uh, and Jennifer, who has been on the show, was there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a good event. Yeah, and uh, we had a few influencers there. Amelia Hartford turned mm-hmm. up. who uh, never, got, never got to meet her. But, uh, but yeah, that was a, was a good crew. Oh, Chris right. Owens turned up, the, yeah. uh, okay. the IndyCar photographer. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah we, had a, we had a good gig. Um, well, Carl's we, popular now, all of a sudden. I know, no kidding. <laughs> we must do it again. But, Mark, yeah, Mark I mean, your, your encyclopedic knowledge is incredible you don't just have a story you have yeah. all the facts the dates the numbers behind it so i don't you know, know how you do it like a lot of things it's one of those things that you know i just that's the way i am but you know when you live it all it's pretty hard to forget because it's been such a good opportunity for so long you know and as i yeah. said early people i've had to work with or been privileged to work with um the teams the drivers um you know it's just a great experience i don't know how else to uh to, to describe it. And I just feel very uh, honored to have been able to do what I've done. And as I said, hope to continue doing it for some time longer, but um, yeah, it's certainly worked. Yeah, for it. it's, uh, yeah. it's better than a lot of other things I can think of. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so. Well, I know, I know our listeners are going to want to hear more of it. So we're definitely going to have Mark back on the show in yes. the future. Um, but uh, thank you again for taking time no out problem. of your schedule. Like I said, I know it was tough. Okay. Um, but um, we will definitely have you back on. Perfect. And if you're ever up in Seattle, let us know. We'll, yeah. we'll be happy yeah, to buy you know, cold ones, take yeah. you up to the rally course. Okay, I, I could probably come up there and maybe take a round or two of that just to check it out, <laughs> get, get my juices yeah, going. I think you right? I mean, like I said, I, I'm, yeah. I'm familiar with Dirtfish. You know, I, I know very much where that came from and where it's going, and I think it's a great thing. I even suggested here a few years ago that Central Florida could be a pretty good location for a, a world rally level rally in the U S again, yep. because the Olympus was probably the last one of any significance up in your part of the world. Many, many, yeah, I think many, we just had it just last, had last weekend. weekend. Well, I'm not yeah. talking about yeah. as, a, as an FIA yeah. world rally. Oh yeah. 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 That was, shoot. 40 years ago, 35 years ago, <laughs> yeah, 40 yeah. years ago. Yeah. But I think yeah, um, yeah. there's enough interest in that again, be the uniqueness of it. It's just very great. And drivers, oh, the best. The best. Yeah, come on, Steve Rimmer, get on it. Yeah, yeah. Come on. I'm going to a message for Steve. Yeah, sort it out, Steve. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell Steve and Josie. We'll tell Josie. I'll get done. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, we Thank appreciate you. it, guys. As always, you know, uh, and we will talk to you again All right. for this episode of the Avance Podcast. As always, I'm Nick. I'm Dan, and don't just get there. Enjoy the drive.